This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. So it turns out after a couple of rough months, City are still at sixes and sevens. The good news this time, the sixes and the sevens are the goals City put past their opponents instead. After posting a mammoth scoreline against Leipzig in midweek, the Blues backed it up with another stellar performance against Burnley in the FA Cup with a trip to Wembley now on the horizon. It's Monday the 20th of March. I'm Amos Murphy. I'm Ollie Kirsch. I'm Oliver Cool, and this is the City Report podcast. Unbelievable! Manchester United one, Manchester City six. It's two for Jekko. Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Ollie, Ollie, Ollie. Um, I think possibly for the first time, given the number of Olivers slash Ollies on this show, this is the first time we've had two at once. Chaps, welcome. Straight into it as usual. Moment of the weekend. Bit of house rules. Ollie McCool, Ollie K. I'm going to go Ollie McCool first. Your moment of the weekend. Um, well, I'm not going to go with the football one because it's been up and down, and we're going to talk about what the best moment of football this weekend was. Um, so I'm going to say Taylor Swift opening her new tour. My TikTok has been full of it. <laughs> if you follow me on any social media, you'll have seen it everywhere. I'm obsessed. It's great. I'm very happy. Yeah, and there we go. Yeah, some bangers. Yeah, some absolute bangers. Um, Ollie Kay, any up in that? Taylor Swift opening a new tour. It's, uh, it's quite a high bar, I assume. 
Yeah, you know what? I was actually also going to go non-football, and I, I'm actually going to go ahead with it. It's got to be meeting you, Amos, for the first time, meeting your old man, and of course, meeting Adam Booker, who spent the week over in mm. Manchester from the USA. So that was a beautiful thing. We had a good night Friday night playing a bit of pool, Saturday a few drinks in town before the game. <laughs> Speak for yourself. Was, uh... Speak for yourself. Uh Playing pools, doing a lot of heavy lifting for me. I will be open and say my skills are beyond absolute tirelessly horrible hopelessness. I'll say I, I was to Amos and Adam at the pool table as City were to Burnley and Leipzig. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's not far off to be honest. And my moment of the weekend is exactly the same. It's a bit soppy, but uh, on on sun on sorry on Saturday, we, Adam and I were next to each other in in Kipax Corner, Block One Ten, celebrating, jumping up and down, watching all those goals. And it's um, as the time he listens to this, will be hurtling back across the Atlantic Ocean and I think we obviously we met you Ollie Kay, we met David, we met Alex, load of people, um, had a great week and yeah, absolutely fantastic stuff. Um, I'll kick off today's show with a little bit of admin, it is the first show of the week but it's a slightly reduced schedule um that's because obviously international break no city in action until april the first we will be with you three times a week as opposed to five times throughout the course of the next couple of days monday wednesday friday are the days you can expect the shows to be in your podcast feeds as such though there will be a little bit more uh, a little bit longer episode so about 35 40 minutes instead of the usual sort of half an hour um finally then if you haven't already as usual hit follow hit subscribe depending on which fo- uh, podcast platform you are using if you can leave a rating and a review as well that would be great into the football then um we started obviously we spent a lot of time on the Leipzig review speaking about certain Erling Braut Haaland I actually want to, in true FA Cup rotation fashion, switch it up to start off with. Ollie McCool, I want to start with um, someone who, for me, is having a fantastic season, but is somewhat going un- under the radar for obvious reasons. Mr. Julian Alvarez, it, it was quite the week for him, wasn't it? He, he got a contract extension earlier in the week and, and and again shout out to City's content team throwing in that stitching in that video of the of the concourse I think it was at Villa away this season of the uh, City fans singing Julian Alvarez's song obviously he gets a bumper deal totally deserving of it and then puts in a masterful performance against Burnley probably for me despite Harlan's hat-trick the man of the match he was sensational and it's great to have him there because you can tell right now he's blossoming yeah, I mean, I love Julian Alvarez. I just love the kid. You know, I think if if you're as obsessive as football about uh, as some as some of we are, you know, we we saw his antics before he came to see, you know a double hat trick in the Argentinian Cup, all these kind of things that just have your jaw on the floor. And then he arrives at City. I think his first start was the Nottingham Forest game where he got two when Erling Haaland got a hat trick. So it's a it's a kind of nice parallel there. Um he's always kind of been mm. the second man on some <laughs> of his best nights, which is crazy. But he, you know, just when you when you see him running about the pitch like the terrier he is, you know, sparks fly, you know, you just can't help but smile watching him play. Um, the, the comparison that often gets made, and I'm sure we're all of us are going to make it at some point in this podcast about him, is he's like Tevez. You know, he's more like Tevez mm. than Aguero because he's just a little pit bull. And, you know, that second goal of his, just what an absolute power. Just, you know, truly Alan Partridge, foot like a traction engine with that shot. Mm. He's just a magical footballer and I just love watching him play 
as much as he gets to play. I wish I wish he could play more, but you know, when you've got a man like Erling Haaland in front of you, I think even he's got to be like, okay, I can accept being number two to Erling Haaland for a bit. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what I will say, and I've seen a lot of people saying. Guardiola has to get Alvarez and Haaland in the team. Or what I will say is you have to consider how much football Julian Alvarez has played uh, in Argentina. Obviously, their season doesn't run sort of parallels to the European leagues. They go from throughout the sort of the calendar year. So even before he arrived at City in, in City's pre-season, he'd been playing quite competitive football all throughout that. He was then obviously integral to Argentina's World Cup winning campaign. So I don't think Oli K, I don't think it's a case of Guardiola shunning him to one side. I think there is an element of that. Obviously, Haaland's the main man, and if Haaland wasn't playing as much, we saw it when Haaland was injured in, in the autumn before the World Cup. But Alvarez would obviously have been given more minutes. However, there is a sort of a, a little bit of management on Guardiola's side, making sure he can bed in properly and and sort of learn the league and learn the aspects of the of the English football to a T and, and so far as demonstrated against Burnley he's thriving and this few players I enjoy seeing score goals more because that smile on his face is is delightful when he gets a goal he's an absolute gem and uh and yeah absolutely buzzing for his performance on Saturday yeah, I think that for me is where he's a hybrid of Aguero and Tevez because he's almost got Aguero's demeanour in his in his character, his personality. You know, he seems quite shy. He's he's, he's a little happy-go-lucky uh, boy from Argentina, but at the same time, when he's on the pitch, he is an absolute terror. And I do think it's become clear over the last couple of weeks that there is a lot of scope for Haaland and Alvarez to play together because the space that Haaland has had in behind and the the, the defenders being at, to quote you earlier, at sixes and sevens, is no mistake. It's not just a consequence of how Leipzig play. It's not just a consequence of how Burnley have come to play. But it is also Alvarez just really kicking up dust everywhere he goes, moving laterally across the front line. And that opens up a lot for Haaland. Because what do you do? You've got When you're on the ball, you're under pressure from Alvarez or Haaland. When you're off the ball, you've got Alvarez running back and forth, trying to block the, block the passing lanes out. And then if one is cut out, you've got Erling Haaland on the shoulder ready to go. So mm. having Alvarez in the team is a very different dynamic to those that he would replace. We're still going to have two wide men. Alvarez would almost be a number 10 behind Haaland, that second shadow striker, if you will, for the football manager enthusiasts. Um, but it means that we don't have the two traditional number eights that we've played with previously. So we wouldn't necessarily have one of De Bruyne, Bernardo, Gundo. Um, so the system's a little bit different. Somebody's going to have to make way. But I think come the end of the season, heading into next season, there's going to be a very serious conversation to have about what is our best system now. Is it the three centre-backs with the right-back dropping in next to Rodri, allowing four across the front behind Haaland? So Alvarez, a number eight, two wingers. Or do we really want to go back to that 4-3-3 where we just have an advanced striker instead of uh, a false nine dropping in as we did last season? There's a conversation to be had. If we're going to go with the new style, if you will, with Rico or whoever it may be dropping into the deeper midfield positions, that needs Alvarez. That means Alvarez is a starting 11 player for me. So it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. Our recruitment in the summer is going to tell us a lot about how Pep intends to go forward based on Gundo's movements, Bernardo's movements, and who we bring in. Uh, and obviously the future of Calvin Phillips as well. If we do want two holding midfielders, we want to keep hold of Calvin. I know there's been rumours of him heading off uh, elsewhere. So 
Yeah, it remains to be seen, but I wouldn't say that Alvarez is necessarily behind Haaland in the pecking order. Uh, it's just going to depend on how we want to go forward tactically. Absolutely, and I know what you're saying. For, for me, when I've seen Alvarez play this season, his best games have come with Haaland in the team. That's easy to say, I suppose, because Haaland could score four or five goals in one match and then Alvarez picks up a couple of scraps. But just the off-the-ball stuff, I think, is 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 uh, it, it, it's so telling as to Alvarez's quality. And perhaps not everyone will get to see the full 90 minutes. Obviously, not, not everyone will get to see the full 90 minutes in the stadium. But Alvarez is the sort of player who you notice his full qualities and his full potential when you watching him in the flesh and you see the stuff off the ball when the opposition centre halves are picking it up outside the penalty box or in and around the box and he's just like you said before Ollie he's just absolutely at the heels pitbull like trying to get the ball off him little rabid dog it, it, I'd hate to play against him obviously you then pair him with Erling Haaland who we'll move on to now but another another hat trick um I said on the Leipzig review, I don't want to do the what else is this to say, blah, blah, blah. Try and peel the onions back and give some insight. But Ollie McCool, I mean, it, it, City, City were poor for that first 30 minutes, I felt. And then what do you know? Ball slips in behind, one touch from Haaland, goal. That is City at this moment in time, isn't it? Heading into the running, that's what we need to see because City can, where previously, last season, City may have been 2-0 down at the break. With Erling Haaland in the team, City 2-0 up at the break instead. And that's what City need to do going forward. They need to utilise Erling Haaland because you can have off days and still score six. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, this game, it, 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 it was a bit of a banana slip for City in a way. You know, it, it could have easily been that, you know, vi, vi, the Vinnie Company story. I mean, his reputation at this club is unlike anyone else's. You know, there's a reason I've got that print of him there. And then it's, you know, Silver and Aguero <laughs> behind me, as has been for recent episodes. Um, you know, it could have easily been players getting overawed by that occasion, or it could have or it could have been the Burnley players getting overawed by the occasion of playing at the Etihad. That's a very young squad they've got there. Um, but that first 30 minutes, they were well in the game. And, you know, as you say, it could have been 2 0, it could have been 2 0 down. And at points, I'm thinking, you know, because Stefan Ortega looked a little bit uncomfortable at certain points, you're thinking, oh, no, this is, this could be it. And then, you know, no, no visit to Wembley, it, you know, it kind of put a dampener on what has been a really good week, really good seven days, 10 days for City. But um, Erling Haaland does his thing, you know. We're, li- you know, this is Erling Haaland's world, and we're all just living in it. You know, two goals in two minutes, <laughs> celebrating before the ball even hit the back of the net. You know, this is truly the era of a big, big Norwegian up top. And you know, how weird is it? You know, but a Burnley side, tactically astute, playing four three three, young, dynamic, playing against City, who are playing four four two with a big bloke up top, and just getting, just trying to get it to him all the time. It's the world's almost swapped over in that first half. Um, but you know. We can all come out with the cliches about Erling Haaland, his career, you know, what he's done. But I've just never seen a footballer like him before. I don't think any of us have. You know, he, you know, everyone I talk to about him says he looks like he's built in a lab. And you just can't imagine someone is so physically adept and physically just powerful and then have so much grace and, you know, almost swan-like when he's running at full pelt. Um, but there's nothing better than seeing him have that massive smile on his face every time he gets another goal. And, you know, everyone goes, oh, he's a tapping mm. merchant. Oh, he only scores in the six-yard box. I don't really care because those are the, that's what we signed him for. We signed him to be that guy in in six yards, in 10 yards, 
to score those goals that we kept missing last season. So I think it's just fantastic that, you know, he's doing his thing, 42 goals and counting. City look well up for the rest of the season. I bet they regret the fact that it's the international break because, you know, we've had such a good run of form and now we've got to stop for two weeks. I'm going to miss City over these two weeks, I think. Yeah, it has been horrible timing, but there's just something I want to pick up on because Amos, you said, you know, we're running out of things to say. There's only so much we can talk about. What else is there for Haaland to do? I mean, he's at the point of the season now where every single goal is breaking another record. His tally is that high now that he's breaking some kind of record or beating some kind of statistic elsewhere. But just for a bit of insight, and Ollie, you mentioned this with regards to tappings. Firstly, anyone that thinks he's a tapping merchant, bin it immediately because we've had Aguero in this side and he never put up these kind of numbers. There's been infamous tapping merchants in the past. Filippo Inzaghi, excellent example, just a pure penalty box operator, never put any numbers up like this. But the thing is about Haaland, two goals in the last two games have actually typified why he gets these. The first one was against Leipzig. De Bruyne's shot coming off the bar. Haaland was already following it in before De Bruyne had even struck the ball. That instinct, that drive, that hunger is not coincidence. The second one, I rewatched before his third goal against Burnley where Foden hit the post and it just seemed to luckily come back out to Haaland who was ready to score it. But if you watch, after the after he plays the ball in to Mahrez, and this is around, I think, his familiarity now with Pep City and our patterns of play. As soon as he plays that ball to Mares, he does not instinctively head towards the penalty spot. He peels out wide, almost knowing that Mares is going wide again on the left to Foden, so that whatever happens, wherever the ball goes, Haaland knows he's in a position to receive it. If Foden decides to fire it across the six-yard box, Haaland's there at the back stick for it. If he decides to have a dig and the keeper saves it and pushes it out the other way, Haaland's ready to receive it. That That is the difference. I feel most number nines in that kind of position would be getting right into the penalty spot on top of the defender's toes. Haaland didn't. Hmm. That is the difference. And it's these little movements that we may fail to see unless we watch it two, three, four, five times that are part of the reason that his tally is so high. The other reason, obviously, is just that his conversion rate, his finishing is absolutely outrageous. The guy just doesn't seem to miss. Um, but... Yeah, look for the little things with, with Haaland and, and I think you'll start to understand it's not just the team around him servicing him, it's not just his finishing, but there are very, very clever movements that he's making in and around the box that put him in the very best position for these rebounds and he's ready for it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're calling out the people who call him a tapping merchant. I've got one who lives in this house with me, my brother Morris. He um, He's a Stockport County support, which is fair enough. We're from Stockport, obviously, and he, he was never properly into football until recently when he started going with his mates, which he, it's ace to see. You know, he, he absolutely loves it, and they're, they're flying in League Two. Um, and tongue-in-cheek, it has to be said, but anytime he gets a, a bag full of goals, my dad and I come home buzzing, he's like, oh, my, my, my Morris, my brother's like, oh, he's, he's a tapping merchant. And I could score those goals. He actually said tonight that he would score 10 goals if he was put up front for City, which uh, got a big round of laughter in the house, as you can imagine. But, you, you know, it, it is absolutely spot on. Nobody, we said this against Leipzig, we're just sort of rehashing the conversation at this point, but nobody would ever doubt his quality. It doesn't make a difference if he's scoring 40, if he's scoring 10 or whatever it is. Nobody's ever done this before. If, if it was that easy, Gabriel Jesus would have done it. Raheem Sterling would have done it. 
they didn't. Aguero would have done it. He didn't. City's best ever striker didn't do it. There's a reason. There's an absolute reason for that. And I almost feel like Erling Haaland is he's really, really bad at football. And that sounds a little bit clickbait. It sounds a little bit sort of, uh, you know, a little bit, uh, oh, look at me. But it's, it's true. He's a bad footballer. However, he's good at a few things which make him the best in the world at what he does. He has such a limited skill set, but it's that limited skill set being off the charts which make him so impressive. You know, he's not going to dribble past four players. He's not going to do a, a Maradona spin. And I don't know, maybe he would be able to chip the goalkeeper, but they're not his types of finishes. It's in and around the box where he's just so lethal in front of a goal which makes him so useful for this city team because crazy to say it this time last year we were we were sort of bemoaning it but right now city don't miss chances i'd never thought i'd say this about a guardiola city team they don't miss chances when they're in front of goal they score which is obviously down to erlin himself um before we move on from the berlin game ollie Vincent Company, he, he returned to the Etihad Stadium to to a, a warm reception. I think it's safe to say it was interesting. Actually, in the ground, they sort of they cut the VT feed as he was coming out the tunnel, which people were thinking, "Oh no, why have they done that?" You know, we're not going to see the embrace. And then the stadium announcer went on the on the PA and, and sort of said, "Welcome back, Vincent Company." And uh, I could imagine for him it would have been difficult. That uh, a strange situation because he's obviously flying with Burnley. They were chanting his name as well, and the City fans were at the same time. And he went over to the away fans at full time, gave them a clap, and then had to sort of inadvertently give the whole stadium a, a round of applause because of the reception he got. But um, it was it was sort of the perfect game in in many senses. Obviously tough to see him be on the end of a defeat like that, but I think everyone went home happy-ish. Um, yeah, I mean, Vincent Company, you know, the, the word legend just doesn't do him justice, I think. You know, this is a guy who came in before the takeover. You know, he was one of the, he was the last standing general of Mark Hughes, uh, which is a really kind of strange thing to say when I say it out loud like that, but we'll go with it. Um, <laughs> yeah, at, at the same time, you know, there's, there's that part of me which is like, I was excited for the game because, you know, I, I won't. I like. I like watching Burnley. Though you know they play really good football. They're a really good team. But at the same time, you know, once it got to, I think, yeah, once it was three 0 you're just thinking, oh, Vinny, mate, you're in for you're in for a long afternoon now. Uh, and it was for him. But at the same time, I don't think I think he's strong enough to go. Well, I kind of expect you know you kind of expect that when you come to the Etihad. You know, he still got one goal better than Leipzig. Um, so there's something to take away, Vinny. You did better than Champions League team. But at the same time, you know. It's. I just love how much he clearly loves football, um, and he, you know, he, he. I think he even asked Pep to stop saying um, he's going to be the Manchester City manager one day because he just wants to focus on his career. He wants to be his own man as much as he wants to be inspired by Guardiola and inspired by mm. some of the people he's worked with. He wants to be his own man, and I think as a City fans, you know, it's good that we got our moment to, you know, really show him some appreciation, show him some love you know, after a few years away, because we got his testimonial and his testimonial was a lovely event. But, you know, there's nothing like when a Matt, when someone comes home for the first time. He, did, he didn't even play in it though, did he? No, he was injured. He was injured for his own testimonial. I mean, nothing has, um, ever been yeah. more, nothing has ever been more Vincent company than that really has there. Um, but he's just a fantastic man. And I don't think there's a City fan in the world who doesn't wish him all the best for every other game he's got this season. Uh, because you know we we can give him we can give him a six nil battering. He's our Vinny, but um, he's going to be a great manager. He's going to be a fantastic manager, um, and it's good that we got to you know experience the early days of it. Really, I think. 
if not already, I think he's, he's certainly his stock's very high. And I have to say, I've I've sort of parroted the line quite often that I wouldn't want Vincent Company in charge of Manchester City. Barring a sort, it, it, for, for me, he'd have to go over the odds or over the expectations with whatever club he's in charge of and be that, I don't know, challenge for Europe with Burnley or if he was to move on to a mid-table Premier League team, maybe win a trophy with them or something like that, for me to justify it because I would never want his his legacy or his sort of his relationship with the fans to be severed if it went wrong. However, Ollie Kay, whilst I was there at the ground and I could see his little, well, I couldn't see his shiny bald head because he had a cap on, but I could see him bobbing about and he was an animated coach. And I was like, oh no, I can see, I can possibly in the future see this happen. And I don't know if that changed your mind on, on him being city manager or not, but um it feels as though the messaging from Guardiola, he obviously sees something in, in, in him. It isn't just a token gesture. Company would obviously love that. It's interesting to see where his career goes now. You assume he gets promoted with Burnley. Does he see the season out? Will they allow him to see the season out if they're in relegation threat or whatever? Obviously, 2025 is the year Guardiola's contract is due to expire. It'd be interesting to see if he goes to, I don't know, maybe a Borussia Dortmund or a talk of Spurs at the moment. I'd, I'd hate that. Imagine uh, the Spurs curse with Vincent Company in charge at the same time. Um, I don't know what what's next for him, but I could. I don't know. Maybe I'm switching a little bit. Maybe maybe in in the future could see him in charge of City. Yeah, I've also always been of the line of thinking that it's just a, a, an all round bad idea. I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at Man United is a cautionary tale for the ages mm. with regards to how badly a manager's legacy can be damaged. And even though many will say that his legacy as a player for them hasn't been tainted, ultimately that is painful to have to be calling for the head of a man whose statue is outside the ground. And I also mm. think it can harm the club because he's likely in that sense to get more time than he has a right to. And that happened with Solskjaer, right? Realistically, he should have gone months before he did. But he was afforded that extra time, and that can do a lot more damage. So, on the one hand, it's hard. I may be starting to come around to it a little bit, only because Pep has said it, and you have to trust Pep. And also, the company has been within this setup, this infrastructure, this system, and this way of thinking from a football perspective that it would be quite a seamless transition. For the same reason that I've always been an advocate of Luis Enrique taking over from Pep, because the same thing happened at Barca. It was seamless. So there are very strong arguments for and against it. I'm I'm so on the fence. I'm so torn. I don't know. Um, with regards to how Burnley do next season, I presume they will be in the Premier League at this point. I think they only need three more wins to secure automatic promotion. Uh, they need to be careful that they don't go down the same route that Leeds did under Bielsa. They maintain the same style of play that they found success with in the Championship and they were picked apart in the Premier League and they very, very nearly went back down. So it'll be fascinating to see how they do next season. Vincent might have to be a little bit more pragmatic with them, uh, lest they do do a Leeds. But uh, Spurs, I, I don't think company will take another Premier League job whilst we are still on the table. Um, Ten Hag is another great example of that. I did think Eric Ten Hag was a potential candidate to replace Pep when it happened. That will now obviously never 
happen. That's off the table. So I, th- I don't see company taking another Premier League job. If he was to move on from Burnley and have a stepping stone club, you're right, a Dortmund, uh, perhaps even a Bayern Munich, uh, or maybe, maybe even Barcelona, depending on how they get on next season. So we'll see what happens, but I don't think he comes straight to City from Burnley. I also don't think he'll go in the Premier League. Do I want him? Don't know. Still on the fence. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know how the Barcelona fans would take Barcelona being a stepping stone club to the city management. Hopefully there's no uh, there's no uh, Blaugrana fran- fans listening to this. Um, Ajax, another club in that sort of mould, I reckon you know that, that'd make sense perhaps further down the line. That'll do for part one. We'll be back in a moment, so stick around for more Manchester City talk. The NFL is here, and it's all about the sweet offers from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can pocket $200 in bonus bets instantly when you bet just 5 bucks on any NFL game. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code FIELDGOAL to sign up. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. See dkng.co slash football for eligibility, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Welcome back to the City Report podcast. At this point, I'd usually say you're home for daily Manchester City content. Obviously, it's uh, three episodes this week due to the international break, but bumper episodes at that. Sticking with the FA Cup, Ollie McCool, Sheffield United in the draw. Um, I was looking at it. Obviously, United weren't through when the draw had been made. They are now. They will play Brighton. This is a bit perverse of me. I feel dirty saying it, but I wouldn't have minded getting Manchester United in the semi-final because it would have ruled out any possibility of getting them in the final. As it goes, it's looking like perhaps a Manchester Derby FA Cup final is on the cards, albeit Sheffield United up next at Wembley for City in mid-April. Yeah, I must say, I'm a big fan of uh, the FA Cup draw this season. You know, giving, starting us off with uh, Chelsea and Arsenal, then giving us three championship teams on the, on the spin. Uh, <laughs> it's quite a nice little thing. Uh, the more I look at this game, the more I think it's going to be one that, you know, yeah. Pep does the over-rotation in, you know... Uh, is, is, is it just it'll be, yeah? It's just after um, the Champions League quarterfinal, which we'll talk about in a minute, I'm sure. Um, but I, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting game. Uh, there's a lot of factors, you know. Sheffield United will be talked about at later dates, also. Um, but it's going to be an interesting one. I hope that he, you know, uh, you know, I hope, yeah, I hope we go through. But at the same time, you know, that worry, you know, Manchester United in the final, possibly. That's terrifying. I don't like the idea of that. You know, even even having them in the semi-final is like, oh, well, at least it's a rerun of 2011. That's a good omen um, type thing. But um, as happy as I am, it's that Sheffield United. I just think, oh, God, what if? What if? Mm. Um, yeah, I don't really want to I say can, much I more take- than that. 
<laughs> I can I can take defeat to United. Well, I can't take defeat to United. I don't know. I don't know who I'm trying to kid, but I can possibly just about compartmentalize defeat to United in a semi final. I was saying this to my dad on the way home from from the Burnley game on Saturday, and and I was saying even if City beat United in an FA Cup final, it'd feel great in the moment, but to live through the build up of having to share the same streets with United fans ahead of an FA Cup final. It just make me sort of it make me want to disintegrate. I'd almost want like Thanos to click his fingers and I just sort of disappear and come back afterwards. Um Ollie K, Chef United though you know, we're, we're almost counting our chickens a little bit. We're, we're doing what United fans do far too often and, and assuming it's a foregone conclusion they'll make it past the semi-final opponents. But Sheffield United are second in the championship. They've challenged Vincent Company's Burnley. They've beaten Vincent Company's Burnley this season. They're a strong outfit. There's a couple of City players who we'll speak about in a moment who may or may not be involved. Regardless, however, it isn't an easy draw. It's probably the most preferable one, especially when you pair United and Brighton on the other side of it. Is this the most? Is, is this City's best chance of winning a trophy? Basically, is the question I'm trying to get at. Regardless of who who the other opponents are, City, you know, will have a, a Champions League knockout the, a couple of days before. I think we play Arsenal a couple of days later. It's in the middle of a mammoth, mammoth schedule. However. There's no flacking here. We saw that with the team selection against Burnley. City have to take this seriously because if not, it could be a, a trophyless season for the first time in, well, quite a while. Yeah, I mean, of course, <clears throat> sorry, on paper, absolutely, of course, it's our easiest or our best chance of winning a trophy. We've got another championship club to beat and then we end up in a final at Wembley where we're going to slap Man United up and down the park, no problem. So, yes, on paper, because in the Champions League, we've got a very tough route. In the Premier League, we're relying on Arsenal dropping a number of points and we've got to be almost perfect. So, yeah, without a doubt. The draw itself, though, I would always say that playing a high-flying championship side is harder than playing a lowly Premier League side. The reason being that they are probably pretty close in quality, but they've not got the psychological issue of being battered every week, which happens with with the teams that are in the relegation zone. So they're going to be on a high morale-wise. It's a massive occasion for them now, even bigger that they're at Wembley. It's not going to be easy. I mean, watch us go and bloody do another 6, 7, 8 nil or whatever. But on paper, right? On paper, it's not easy. They are doing well in the championship. They are clearly Premier League quality. They'll be well up for it. It's a special occasion. And they've got the ultimate incentive. That's a trip to Wembley for an FA Cup final as a championship side. That's the stuff of dreams for them, right? If we had done that back in the year 2000, it would have been, would have been laughing. So it's tough, but we've got to capitalise on the favourable draw that we've had because despite what I've just said we would definitely rather be playing Sheffield United than Brighton Um, United in the final it's not pleasant I never enjoy a derby unless we're 3-0 or more up but ultimately we are still a far better side than them we've just got to say bring it on They, they will be more scared of us heading into that game than we will of them so bring it on I guess yeah, yeah, that that's something to to perhaps cross when we get to it. Um, but Ollie, the uh, the the big the sort of the big elephant in the room, Tommy Doyle, James McAtee. Um, okay, it, it, it's going to be the, the, there's plenty of reports, contrasting reports at the moment. Sam Lee of the Athletic said 
sort of straight off the bat when the draw was made, they're not going to play. It's sort of written in statute that isn't going to be the case. Looking at the the the, the laws itself, it seems there's a bit of a grey area. Maybe perhaps the club uh, are able to decide. Put yourself in the shoes, Ollie Kay. You're in the city boardroom. You're the man or woman saying yes or no, this is going to happen, this isn't going to happen. Do you say yes? Do you sanction Doyle and McAtee playing? Or do you sort of, you look at it and go, they're good players, they're on loan from us. No, thank you. Well, that They can sit in the stands whilst we put out our full-strength team. I'd stir the pot, me. I'd say you can have one. One of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause a bit of internal strife. Some uh, mm. some splits in the dressing room. I think we've got to be ruthless and say no. And I, I know that it isn't good for the competitive spirit in that sense. And we are we like to think we're the good guys of football at City, right? That's 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 something them <laughs> lot are doing, isn't it? <laughs> Being scumbags like that. We're like uh, with uh, Dubravka for Newcastle in the Carabao Cup final, that kind of thing. But I do think we've got to be ruthless at the end of the day. As we just said, it, it could be our best shot at a trophy this season. We probably don't want to help them. The only thing I would say, though, is that it's risky because if we don't allow them to play, they might have serious reservations about coming back to this club in the summer. So... I guess it depends on where we see their futures. If their futures are at City, we've got to walk on eggshells here. But for selfish reasons, I think we've just got to be ruthless. If I'm in, if I'm in the boardroom and I'm pressing the button, yes or no, it, it's a hundred percent a million times over, um, no. Because I think, why on earth would you allow two very good integral players of their Sheffield United season, their team under Paul Heckenbottom, to play in this in the FA Cup semi final? As we mentioned, one of City's best, if not the best, chance of silverware this season. However, Ollie McCall, if Ollie Kay's the devil on the shoulder, you're certainly the more angelic of types. I believe you are taking on the back of your tweets and whatnot. You you would you'd you'd like him to play. I'd I'd like to see him play. I'd like to see him tested, but I'm not sure I would say yes to it if I was in charge. It will be it will be difficult for them though, won't it, given how integral they have been to Sheffield United season. Obviously, on the brink of promotion as well, they're in a bit of a, a tussle with Middlesbrough for that second spot behind Burnley. But it'll be, from a moral point of view, it'll be tough to see them sat in the stands whilst their teammates get a chance to play at Wembley. No matter if the lone club, City, Grimsby, Barcelona, whoever it is, that's a big occasion for two young lads, which now it looks like they're probably not going to get. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there is that part, you know, I'm a very kind of, happy-go-lucky person when it comes to City. I, will, I want. I, will, I would love to see them play. You know, seeing two young, you know, City fans stroll out of Wembley, uh, it's it's what we all dream of. It's just that they'd be doing it in a different kit. Um, you know, there's, I'm glad I'm not the decision maker because if I had to make the decision on this, I would. Fi- I think City are going to find it quite hard. But um, yeah, you got to be ruthless. I think genuinely, and you know, you can't let them play. But at the same time, you know, how nice would it be to see, to see them do that? Um, but, you know, you look at the threat, you know, Tommy Doyle, that free kick uh, that he scored against um, Blackburn to win them their tie to get to Wembley, he's lethal from them. Um, and you could just imagine, could imagine the headline, Tommy Doyle scores late free kick to beat Manchester City, knock them out the FA Cup, go to the FA Cup final. Um, I would not want to imagine that at all. I've got a little question for you, Amos, then. Uh, okay. As your 
as we do agree on this, but I just want to put you in that position. If Doyle and McAtee make it known to the club that if we take that away from them, that that dream of going with Sheffield to Wembley to play against City and prove their worth, if we take that away from them, they categorically do not want a future at City. What do you make of it? What do you do? What What's our moral obligation to them as young lads that want to play at Wembley? Well, I, I would be very surprised if their agents come to City and say, oh, my client is going to engineer a move away from the biggest football club at the moment in the country and the best place to develop as a young talent and access to the best loan market and slash or the best future move because they said no to a contractual agreement I assume, I don't know if it is in the contract. Um, I, I would find it very difficult for City to even entertain such a conversation, to be honest. So I, I'd be interested to see if that was that was something on the cards. I think it's an easy fix if it is in the contract that is sort of written into when they signed it with Sheffield United to say, no, you will not play against your parent club. That sort of solves it. And, and given the briefings, obviously nothing's been made conclusive yet, but given the briefings that were floating around when the draw was made, you'd assume that it is sort of sort of common knowledge amongst the media pack that this isn't going to happen. But I don't know. I, 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 like you say, from a previous point, being ruthless, I, I would assume it is just part of being a lone player out at a smaller club coming against your parent club. You know, City aren't going to be prepared to hand out freebies. They don't, as good as the experience would be for them, and and yes, they could maybe score a goal and that bumps their price up by five million or whatever. I think City, at the end of the day, have to look at it and go, you're good players. Your team, without them, is significantly worse off. So, I don't know. I think that's probably where I sit. Yeah, I, I do think in terms of where things are at now, we need to read between the lines. If there was no clause in the contract that they can't play against us, Sheffield United would have already briefed that they will be playing. So I think the assumption is that there is a clause that they cannot play against us and City are considering, uh, pending further conversations, retracting that clause. So yeah. as things stand, I would imagine they are not allowed to play. Yeah, Paul Heckenbottom as well at, at full time said that there'll have to be conversations, or sorry, after the draw said that there'll have to be conversations regarding whether or not they will play. So one to watch for sure. Um, it's been quite the week of draws. Oli McCool by Munich as has been alluded to already in the Champions League. For me, not a happy face, not a sad face, a, a ooh face for that one. For me, the issue is the semi-final path. Chelsea or Real Madrid should City beat by Munich. If City are going to win the Champions League this year, it's probably looking like it will be one of the all-time runs in doing so. Yeah, um, when that draw was first made, I was genuinely quite excited. You know, you're thinking, you know, it, it, we, we all kind of rubbish that old adage of the group chat, you know, to, to be the best, you've got to beat the best. And I know it drives you up the ball, Amos. But, you know, if, if, <laughs> if it, you know... I can see I can see why people keep saying it because you know Bayern Munich and Real Madrid are titans of European football not of just not just of their countries like City are they are titans of the European game you know they're both very recent winners you know uh, you know we, we've got experience of Real Madrid in the semi-finals twice now um, it's it's a that is that is the scary proposition and Chelsea offer up their own threat you know it feels like one of those you know it, Tis the damn season where just, oh, Chelsea, 
sitting in mid-table, they could just go and fluke a Champions League. Graham Potter's already alluded to it um, with much swearier language, uh, which was quite a funny video. But um, you know, Quite cringy but, video, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, it felt, it felt a bit forced, didn't it? It felt a bit out of character for him. Um, and I don't want to rubbish Graham Potter by any means because I quite like the bloke. But um, mm. yeah, and speaking of you know City players playing against playing against this club, there is the there is the Jao Cancelo problem. Um, Bayern Munich, you know, there is no clause in that contract. He is allowed to play against us. I think there's UEFA rules permitting that. You know, clubs can't you know put in clauses like that for loan deals, um, which is that that's that's a worrying prospect because. We all know he's a damn good footballer, but at the same time, you know, could could you imagine the kind of mor- moral boost that would give to the fans? You know, if Phil Foden or uh, you know Riyad Mahrez just properly, properly destroyed him like they've done to so many fullbacks. Although he could do the same, so wasn't it? Completely destroys the confidence of those players and all of, and of the fans as well. Uh, so it kind of goes both ways, but it's a it's a worrying draw. But it's one of those. You know, you look at the other side of it as well. If you get if you get through those four games. You're in the Champions League final, which is amazing in itself, but you're in the Champions League final against Milan, Inter, Napoli or Benfica. Um, mm. You know, we can all talk about typical City and what would happen in that situation, but there won't be a City fan in the land who do- who didn't kind of, who doesn't rub their hands with glee if we get to the final and we're looking at one of those four opponents, you know, even for two seconds. I think we all kind of went, oh, okay, if we get there, then not only is it one of the greatest runs in Champions League history, it's also an incredibly, you know, it's a final mm. with potential. I think is it's the nicest way I can put put it. I'm sure Ollie will say something completely different. Like we'd smash Napoli five <laughs> nil, um, you know, after he said we'd beat, we'll smash United in the FA Cup final. But um, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't want to. I reiterate, I, don't that. I, I reiterate that I reiterate that we will smash United in the Cup final if we, if we do come to it. I'm, I've got supreme confidence of that. The Champions League, uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I think we should beat Bayern, however good they are. Yes, they are giants of the European game, uh, but we are still a wholly better footballing side than them. But my take on the Champions League draw is uh, pessimistic, fatalistic. I don't, I don't really know the word for it, but my take is if we're going to win it, Let's do it with one of the greatest runs of all time. If we're going to go out, let's go out to a Bayern, a Madrid, or an, a Napoli, rather than some kind of crash against Benfica or Inter Milan. That that's my view on it. I, I think it's win-win in a sense because we. I know we'll need to be full intensity. Rotation is going to be limited. They're going to be very tough, hard-fought games, but. I'd rather that than seeing us chasing a goal or two at home in the second leg to Benfica because we just got it all wrong with the starting lineup and we made five subs and we're now trying to scramble the game back together. Or we've made zero subs in the entire stadiums asking Pep why he's not making it. You know, you can almost envision because we've been in these situations so many times. So, sack it. Let's just have these titanic clashes against the other giants of European football and see what happens. I do think we're better sides than everyone else remaining in the competition. And I know that's not always how it works out in cup competitions, specifically for us in the Champions League. But we've just got to do it. We've got to go for it. We've had easy routes. We've had hard routes. We've had middling routes. We've still not won it. So, whatever. These are the games that are in front of us. We are a better side. 
let's just go and beat them. And if we don't, fine, we've been put out by another giant team rather than some kind of humiliating choke against a vastly inferior side. For me, it's win-win. Uh, I'm just looking forward to the end of the season now. Not the end of the season, but but this running because we have got our form back. Haaland is firing to ungodly levels. So let's just see what happens. I think we need to enjoy the ride at this point because summer's going to be another summer of transition. Next season, we'll have another whole weight of expectations on new signings. So for now, we've just got to enjoy what we serve up. I think this is where my disdain and apathy for the Champions League comes in because we were sat in the hotel room with Adam and Alex Brotherton after the Leipzig game and we were all buzzing with confidence and you know Adam even suggested for the first time ever he's confident about City winning the Champions League and, and by all accounts I don't think that confidence has dwindled but it is entirely luck of the draw, entirely luck of the draw. City were one ball away from being drawn on the side of the draw with Inter Milan, AC Milan and Benfica. Obviously, at which point you say City will find a way to cock it up somehow. But I just think with the Champions League, you, there is this sort of this unwritten code that the the gentry, the the European elite find a way to do, get it done. And if City are going to win it, it's going to have to be from some sort of fluky chaotic transition season which you know some may argue is is the case now I don't ever see City winning the Champions League when they're the best team in Europe because the best team in Europe never wins the Champions League you know that is sort of as it goes if you are the best football team in Europe you are destined for quarter-final or semi-final defeat or you know in City found out in 2021 uh final defeat I just see I just see that draw 22 Champions Leagues between Bayern Chelsea Real Madrid City obviously with zero one day that will change. I'm just not sure anymore. It's this year. I just feel like City need a bit of a bit of luck. Maybe it will come. Maybe it will come. And and to be honest, like I said, I don't even. I'm I'm not overly worried about the Bayern Munich game. Famous last words, of course. I'm overly worried about the potential of Chelsea, which would just sum it up as Ollie Ollie McCall said. They'd find a way to get to the final in one of the worst seasons in recent memory. And then obviously Real Madrid. Um, it almost feels like a predetermined loss. Unless we do get a genuinely outrageously lucky, like, you know, AC Milan somehow overcome Napoli and we beat Inter and then we've got AC in the semis, we're still looking at that final thinking we're going to find a way to cock it up because that is the Champions League. At this point, and I also agree, I am pretty apathetic to the Champions League. For me, give me the Premier League every single season. And I also think a Champions League win is hollow if you do not win the Premier League in the same season. Ollie, thank you. Ollie, thank you. I've been Amos Murphy. Until next time, we will see you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end of season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.